Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. Um, I'm your host, Christina Warren, a senior developer advocate at GitHub, and I am joined right now, as always, by my good friend, Brianna Wu, um, executive director of Rebellion Pack. Simone de Rochefort, our normal moderator host, is... I don't know. She's like having some sort of wonderful like experience in Italy or something. Like she totally slacked and is not oh. with us for some reason. Which you know, I, okay, fine, whatever, Simone. I guess that's all right. But we'll 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 let it go this once, right? Yeah, I just watched Godfather Part Three this week, and it seems like a pretty cool country. It seems like a lot of fun stuff going down. This episode <laughs> is brought to you by Squarespace. All right, so we've got a bunch of topics to talk about this week. Um, disclosure: last week. There was actually some real tech news, but it was our 400th episode, so we didn't like care because, you know, honestly, like it was. We had chicken to eat. We, we had chicken we had, and quizzes to do. We we had chicken to eat, uh, quizzes to do, and frankly, 400 episodes to, to celebrate. So yeah, we're not going to we cover were everything. The news last week, and we're not we going to apologize last week. about that. <laughs> exactly, but we did miss that there was some uh, uh, revelations from a uh, so-called Twitter whistleblower. One of the former uh, Twitter executives um, uh, made some damning allegations against the company company last week, and so we're going to talk about what some of those are, and also what impact, if any, that is going to have on um, uh, the Elon Musk's ongoing Twitter saga and how that might be used. We're also going to talk about Stable Diffusion, which is a new open source AI model for creating art, which is amazing. And Brie and I are going to have a conversation about that and Ooh. Dolly 2 and some of these other things that I'm personally, I can't wait to have a conversation about this because it's super fascinating. And finally, we're going to have uh, Kat Tenbarge on the show to talk to us about the latest drama happening with uh, our favorite uh, YouTube uh, uh, drama queen, Trisha Paytas. Um, Kat has also going to join us for an extended, uh, I guess, kind of interview discussion about influencer culture in general um, on Rocket Booster. So if you want to subscribe to Rocket Booster, which is our new membership program, which uh, gives you uh, like ad-free stuff, uh, you get uh, extra bonus content. We're going to have other uh, surprises and things available uh, you can um, obviously uh, do that. We we would love to have you join us. So so please be be a boosty. I think that's what we're going to call our our um, our subscribers to Rocket Booster boosties. Um, also, uh, Brie, we wanted to plug at the top of the show before we get into our first topic. We have merch now. We it's been years since we had any sort of shirts available at all, and we have merch. So it's it's not just that we have merch. We have a whole store that we're hooking up for, for Rocket listeners. And I have to tell you, we're talking to them. And something that drives me crazy is like things like uh, laptop bags or like really nice water bottles. I, I want to have a store where you can go get tech gear you're actually going to use. So yeah. we are working with them on that. But for right now, uh, uh, Relay, the network, Stephen worked really hard and made us some gorgeous amazing t-shirt designs that you need to go run out and buy right now. If you support the show, uh, please go over to rocket-merch.com. 
rocket-merch.com. Again, that's rocket-merch.com. And uh, one of the designs, it's uh, this is this was my idea. It was calling us Relay's Best Worst Podcast. So Rocket yes. <laughs> Relay's Best Worst Podcast in this cute little script. Uh, we love that. Yeah, you know, we are an offbeat tech show. We're not a straight news show uh, like a lot of other things on this network are, and we're very proud of that. Uh, we, the are, other look, one, we are, we are yeah. proud to be the worst, but we're because we're the yeah. best of the worst, frankly. Like yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. We earn that. We every week we earn that. Uh, that uh, we earn that uh, distinguishment. Uh, the other thing, Christina, yeah, you came up with Scam Town, and that's our thing. We're just running with it. It's beautiful. We have a Scam Town T-shirt. It is absolutely amazing. But my favorite part is this is so good. Oh God! So there's not just a Scam Town T-shirt. Like you can go get an awesome Scam Town T-shirt right now. But the very best color of the Scamtown t-shirt is black with purple uh, scripting on it. And this is the special scam edition of the Scamtown t-shirt, which is $10 more for absolutely no reason. Absolutely no reason. Other than that, it's a scam. We're telling you a scam, but we also know you've got the Christina dollars to spend on that scam. So. No, this is the thing. Yeah. So, so you can get it in like your normal colors. Um, uh, you can get it, uh, you know, it's available like in, in a vintage red. There's like a, 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 a bright red, um, kind of, kind of a, a black vintage or, or black cotton in, 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 of course, rocket purple. There's a vintage navy blend and, and a midnight color. Those are all great. There's also a light version that's available in either white or a vintage white. But as Bree said, if you want to get the best version of the Scamtown shirt, which has an amazing logo. We have to thank our designers so much for it. It's amazing. So it's, it's the vintage black, and then it's got, or, or regular black, and then the purple um, um, logo on it, which is beautiful. If you want to get this one, it is the special scam edition. It's $10 more, <laughs> rocket-merch.com. Why? Because we're scamming you. We're being yeah. honest about it. But honestly, yeah. it's also the right one. Um, now, uh, frequent, uh, long-time listeners of our show will know that if you ever see us in person, we will buy you a drink. That's just like what we do. But if you're wearing Rocket merch, even better. I think originally it started as being like, oh, you have to wear Rocket merch and then we'll buy you a drink. And then we didn't have merch for so long that it went away. I'll, I'll go one further. Like if if I see you in person and you're wearing the Scam Town Special Edition, okay, one of two things can happen. Either as part of the scam, you will have to buy us drinks, which would be funny. But no, actually, <laughs> like I, I think I think I'll say this. Like. If, if, if you're wearing the Scamtown Special Edition and I see you out in the wild, which is, I've seen dozens of you, dozens um, out, out there, um, like rounds on like everybody in your group on us or something. So how about this? I will pull a Saul Goodman type scam with you. Like we will okay. meet up in the bar yes. and we will go defraud some insurance salesman okay, perfect. right there. All right. Brianna yeah. will pull um, a scam with you. I will either leave you with the check or pick up the check for your whole like party or whatever. But regardless, <laughs> um, uh, we will also maybe make some other promises, which we then won't fulfill again, part of the scam. But yeah, you want to get the, the Scam Town Special Edition shirt. It's great. Uh, we look, we got we, we got to keep, you know, uh, all of us in, a, in toys um, somehow. But yeah, um, it, merch is available, rocket-merch.com. More uh, uh, stuff will be coming um, in, in the coming uh, weeks and months, but, but the shirts are up now. They are great. Super excited. 
you know, just just getting really serious with this. One of the things we're we're doing with the the rocket booster uh, money that we're putting into the show is uh, we are. You're going to notice on the show going forward, we're going to be doing a lot of interviews uh, with uh, Cat uh, Tenbarge at the end of the show. Like, there's a whole 30 uh, minute interview that we did with her, and one of the reasons that's easier is we upgraded a lot of our software on this side of it. So, like, it's not just like you know giving us Christina box. No. We appreciate no, we're like that, actually investing in the show. Yeah, we're yeah, investing yeah. in the show. So yeah, like I said, like I, I'm I'm being flippant, being 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 like, yes, we need to buy more things. No, that's not really it. No, we actually want to invest in the show. We want to be able to like improve our quality. We want to be able to like be able to send people um like guests uh, equipment if we need to do that. Yep. We've upgraded our software. Like we want to be able to put more into this. So that all helps. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, so uh, rocket-merch.com and also be sure to, you know, check us out, uh, our, our new membership program, a Rocket Boosters, where you'll get additional content. All right. Now let's actually go into, <laughs> into our news. Into our news. Yeah. So we've had this, look, it's it's like we're ATP. We just had a bunch of housekeeping, but you know what? It was way shorter than ATP's housekeeping yes. because- I might ramble without Simone. We might not be good at keeping things on on a you know a time schedule without her here, but uh, but that doesn't mean that we're not still trying. Okay. Um. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was the the Twitter uh, whistleblower uh, uh, revelations. So last week, um, a former um, security um, executive at uh, Twitter, uh, a guy who uh, has gone by uh, the name Mudge online, that was his hacker name, Peter uh, Mudge Zadko, who used to be the head of security at Twitter. He worked there for, for just under two years. He was fired in January, and he's accusing the company of you know reckless, uh, reckless and negligent cybersecurity policies, basically painting a picture in um, his whistleblower document that he uh, gave uh, to, uh, to to Congress, um, basically painting a picture of, of Twitter internally that is is kind of an ish show when it comes to security, not taking a lot of things seriously, not having a good handle on um, uh, you know what types of users are on the platform, and and uh, and, and uh, making allegations far beyond kind of the, the bot allegations that Elon Musk has been trying to to use to to get out of buying Twitter and, and making some other some some larger claims about that too. So um we'll have links in the in the show notes um for uh the filings about what these things actually are and going into some details, some reporting from the Washington Post and some other outlets. But I just wanted to kind of get like a high level thought from you, Bree. What what were your thoughts like from this um from these revelations. So at Twitter, if Twitter Twitter hiring Mudge and then choosing to fire him is like if you were trying to assassinate someone and John Wick were on your team and you fired him, or if you had a phony biotech company and Elizabeth Holmes was on your board right. and, and you're trying to get some funding, like it doesn't make any sense. If you know anything about cybersecurity, you know Mudge, like easily one of the most celebrated, credible detailed, thoughtful, discreet adults in cybersecurity. So when I heard that news that Twitter had fired him, I'm like, well, some really crazy stuff must be going on there because I know it's not him. 
It, right. it can't be him. And it turns out, you know, he is alleging that he was basically fired in retaliation for coming to the board uh, with some really, really credible and disturbing allegations, like a complete lack of uh, of uh, cybersecurity procedures, mm-hmm. uh, a wide access to things like DM DMs across the, the company, uh, vulnerability to bots, uh, just, just head top to bottom. Like this being a national security um, uh, emergency, it being a privacy emergency, just being a fundamentally broken company from a cybersecurity perspective, which is, again, unbelievably credible. So that's the high level. Yeah, I, I, I will say I, I will say I've talked to people, uh, let's just say, um, close to the company uh, who, <laughs> who, who are at the levels you would know, uh, who have expressed their, I guess, they've been, they've been skeptical about what Mudge has said. And, and, and Hmm. Twitter also, to be very clear, has pushed back completely on his allegations. And they've basically said that he's making these complaints because he was fired and he was fired because he wasn't a good leader, wasn't a good employee and, and wasn't prioritizing the right things. Many of his former, some of his former colleagues have tweeted, and I think maybe then uh, deleted whatnot, but, but people have tweeted things basically calling into question some of his, practices while at the company. You're absolutely right that his, um, you know, uh, reputation has been in, in cybersecurity and in kind of the internet hacker communities is fantastic. And he's held in very, very high regard. I will note, though, just to say that that Twitter not only denies this, they like are like coming out against it. And and I will say, and I don't know, I don't know enough about the situation to really have an opinion when, one way or another, except I will say that people who would have been in a position to know and who would have worked closely with him have expressed to me skepticism and and kind of eye rolling about his revelations. That's, okay, that's, that's, so that's this, the only thing I'll add. This puts me in a, in a hard position because I, uh, I mean, I obviously trust you and that that feels very credible to me, but that that's just, it's, it's awkward all the way around because I you've agree. got somebody that's really, really credible. But if you're telling me that these claims may be overblown, like I also believe you. So no, that, I, that I, I agree. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same situation, right? Because yeah. this is somebody who, I mean, again, I don't know what's true. Like I said, I, I, I'm saying, I've heard this from people who have worked at Twitter. Uh, I'm not going to say what their current employment status is, who would be close enough to know and were high enough up to know who have definitely expressed their, again, kind of eye rolls or their disagreements with what's been said. Having said that, I don't know. I haven't been there. I don't know those things. I also don't know how closely, you know, they were aware of everything. So, well, let's look at some of the claims here because, okay, the biggest one is obviously the indiscriminate access across Twitter uh, with basically saying that like, um, what is it like? 7,000 employees, I think, like have access to a lot of uh, very sensitive information there. Right. I find that extremely credible because of the hack that happened during the election. Yeah, no. So, yeah. Well, when, well when, and even before the right. election, uh, you know, when they had the, the 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 big thing would be when the teenager was able to do the the the, the hack, doing the phishing thing that then took over the verified accounts, including Elon Musk, to tweet out the the crypto wallet stuff. Like that, that I think is is the biggest, most uh, credibility bolstering thing that happened. Right, was in 2020 when that hack happened. That was very clear that they had not. Uh, I'm not going to say lax because a lot of organizations operate on trust, but they clearly didn't have um, as robust of, of maybe access and security policies as you would would hope a company that manages as many accounts and, and that as many people want access to 
you know, could, could, could it get into for sure. A, a thousand percent. So then you've got misleading the FTC over uh, the protection of consumer personal information. I can't evaluate that anyway, pro right. or negative, uh, though uh, something as large as Twitter that's been around for so many years, it's easy to see. Imagine legacy systems not like at a place where cybersecurity experts would feel comfortable with it. Ignoring bots. This is something we know a lot about because of Elon Musk. And it seems to me like this is an, uh, something that's literally impossible to know. Like it really depends on your methodology and how you assess that. So I don't think you can know that. Uh, another one is uh, uh, basically uh, saying that uh, Twitter, given government's access to information uh, around the world, particularly India, yeah. uh, that feels very credible to yeah, me. Yeah, it does. It does, especially since um, a, a former Twitter employee has been charged and, and, and I think maybe even convicted of um, uh, working um, undercover for the Saudi Arabian government um, basically as a spy. And, and we know, as we've talked about before, that the Indian government, which in my opinion is, is pretty totalitarian and, and, yeah. and borderline dictatorship, like they've, they've tried to enforce laws on social media companies about access. And, and even, you know, according to, to these reports, even other people who've, who've talked to, to individuals about this have been like, yeah, even people who aren't much are like, yeah, this guy that was working there seemed like he was probably state-sponsored. So, right. yeah, the, I, I, I don't doubt that at all. I, I, I guess my, my, my only question about any of this, about some of these things would be, were these really covered up um, or, or were these things that, that were disclosed to the right people? That, that, that's, I think, the, 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 the bigger question. But, yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the big ones. And I, I, I find that completely credible that they, because of the, the various compliance issues with India, had somebody from, from the Indian government working there. I, that, right. I find that In- credible. And then the final uh, allegation that he has is that Twitter had a failure to delete past data. I am in no position to evaluate that as either credible or or non-credible. But I think out of these six things here, I think you and I and, and most people that follow this company closely would agree three of them just because of, of past history uh, with the, the company, these these are, are issues that Twitter is known to struggle with, and uh, these feel like credible claims from somebody like uh, Mudge uh, with his experience. So uh, I think you know they've certainly put out uh, strong denials in the press, but I think uh, in a credibility war, I'm just I, I maybe it's not fair, but I'm going to kind of side with the people who have names and they're on the record. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. I mean, I will say there have been some people who used to work at Twitter, who used to work with Mudge, who have gone on the record on their own accounts to to basically call into question some of these things. And and, hmm. I, and I think I, I think that uh, the Ian Brown, who uh, works um, uh, at, at Netflix and used to be at Twitter, you know, has, has made um, uh, comments like uh, noting. And I think this is a good point that in his whistleblower report, which was written to look like it was some sort of official document when it was not. It was just something he proffered. It wasn't like an actual legal legal document. And you know, that he didn't have any any footnotes or references, you know, explaining why he's making particular claims. And that most of his other anecdotes, I'm just reading from, from Ian's tweets here, most of his other anecdotes or assertions have a footnote with more context and or detail. It's weird that this one doesn't. Um, also, the disjunction of kernels or operating systems and the use of single aggregate percentage is pretty hand wavy. So the the uh, allegation here that that Ian is is taking issue with is server vulnerabilities. With over fifty percent of Twitter's five hundred thousand data center servers with non compliant kernels or operating systems, and many unable to support encryption at rest. This is somebody who worked with him, who is 
flat out saying that the, he does not find this credible and and that he's also saying that um he that, that if any, he's also said that as i've mentioned elsewhere during my tenure much's engagement in this area was a minimal and b not constructive helpful so I think that it's possible that some of these things are are accurate and that some of these revelations are true. I also think it's possible that this whole thing is being done in a really self-serving way by someone who was fired by the new boss as soon as the old boss was gone and 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 has an axe to grind. And I will say I think reading some of this stuff it does feel a little bit axe grindy. Um, rather than some of the straight whistleblower things that we've seen before, which again doesn't mean that it's not true and doesn't mean that the, that that uh, some of the, the revelations aren't very serious and that we shouldn't discuss them. But it, it's not as if this is coming from somebody who, in my opinion, made these complaints because they, you know, felt like this was like their their you know duty. It's like okay, you waited until months after you were fired. To come forward, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely in the minus column. I, 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 I think that the bottom line here is Twitter. I, I personally found their response coming forward to to not alleviate any of my concerns here. Right, like they've basically gone through and they've said, well, actually, uh, you know, if you're going to try to log in, you've got to have the right version. So we just think we're completely safe. Something we all know about Twitter is that, uh, you know, they're trying to cut costs right now. So, uh, you know, it's it's easy for all of us, I imagine, to to like comprehend an organization that doesn't want to spend money on cybersecurity. Right. Right. So, uh, it's really easy to see that feature kind of being, uh, deprioritized right now to the point where someone like Mudge might, uh, not feel empowered to do the things that he needs to do in an organization like that. And look, we've, we've all seen dudes with their egos and, you know, I mean, I will say, I, 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 yeah. the only thing I'll push back on, he was a very high sure. ranking executive, right? So I right. think if anybody was empowered to do things, someone who's high specifically by the CEO Jack Dorsey yeah, and kind Jack of in, 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 yeah. and hired you know to to kind of fix and, and and try to be kind of this the security conscience or whatever he however he described his role I think that I, I am going to say somebody who's who's been as as revered and had as much you know uh impact as he has is like I, I don't know if I quite buy the I wasn't empowered and couldn't get things done that that does strike me just from working at big organizations as being a little bit odd yeah, and, that's, and, and that's not, true. And not because, with, with experience. Yeah, if he can't go in and say, look, I need engineers to refactor this security protocol with this, right? We need to lock this down. We need to examine how people have access to this database and limit what they have access to. If he doesn't, if he doesn't have the ability to make those changes happen, I think you're right. Like what other leader would you be looking to there? So right. I think that's really well said. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that the issue is this is complicated, but I, one thing that I do think is interesting to bring up is of course, what impact this will have on any of the Elon Musk drama. And because obviously Elon Musk is going to try to use this to his advantage, whether it actually fits with him or not. And, and Mike uh, Mesnick over at Tech Dirt, um, as usual, I think wrote some really, really good stuff, which was basically um, coming out and all kind of saying, you know, um, it actually seems to confirm Twitter's legal argument while pretending to support Musk's. And 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 I'm I'm uh, basically 
you know, one of the overlaying uh, points that uh, Mike makes, which I think is an important thing to keep in mind, is that the lawsuit is not about spam, and it's not, you know, and and that, uh, you know, spam in the, in the you know, uh, like monthly daily active user is not the same as spam on Twitter. And I think that's true too. So Mike, uh, we've got links to, to both. Uh, he wrote two articles on this, but I've got you know, links to both of them in, in, the, um, in our show notes. I think that he does a nice job kind of showing, at least from his perspective, why even though Mudge, you know, on, on the surface, it seems like this is reaffirming a lot of Musk's um, uh, comments. Really, the arguments he's making are very different than what Musk's are, which to that point, Elon Musk this week has now wanted to file uh, a motion to basically extend to push the trial, which is supposed to take place in October, to push it out further because um, he wants to uh, uh, basically, he's trying to basically change his argument, basically. He's trying to kind of almost, it seems like, use the um, the Mudge um, revelations as, as a, a reason to get out of, uh, you know, buying Twitter rather than um, his, his old old argument is at least how I'm reading it. So can you explain that a little bit more to me? Because the Mudge's direct allegations is that Twitter executives are, are incentivized to basically not address spam on the system because they get financial bonuses uh, according to user engagement. Right. And because of that, they, um, they are... Well, basically, all the incentives are there for them to have misleading uh, ways to measure uh, spam uh, accounts, which they've repeatedly claimed are 5%. Um, that seems to be exactly what Elon's pretext is to get out of this Twitter deal. So what's what's kind of the disconnect there that they're claiming as far as what could be used in the suit? Well, I guess the disconnect that, that Mike Masnick makes, and, and this is one that I would kind of agree with, is and I'm just going to kind of quote from him directly. Please. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's talking about how spam in, in, in the MDAU is not the same as spam on Twitter. So Twitter's filings with the SEC are only about how much spam is in their MDAU number. This takes place after Twitter has already made use of other processes to try to eliminate spam accounts from that figure. And then they do a daily spot check of 100 accounts. And so that creates a sample size of, of 9,000 over the course of a quarter, um, or, or you know, which is like the, the period that Twitter reports. And then that's uh, statistically significant for declaring that less than 5% uh, figure. So that's never meant that, that less than 5% of all accounts or all tweets or all, act or all activity are spam or bots. That's not what they're saying. It just means that the 5% the of what's counted is, is after they've already you know, done kind of their, their filter for spam stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that does. That does. And, okay. and, and I do think that yeah. those are, um, you know, uh, a different, and, and sorry, I'd said before that it was monthly daily average user. It's not, it's monetizable daily average user. So those, those numbers, which, and I absolutely believe that there are incentives and bonus structures in place based on getting those numbers higher. That's 100% believable. But what, what, uh, Twitter's filings say, and, and this is true is is they're again they're not claiming that like the aggregate number amount of spam is less than five percent. Just the aggregate n number that they report in their reports of what they're calling monetizable daily average users because they can't monetize the spam accounts. So they're they're already kind of doing a filter for that. So I so it's a semantic thing, but I do think it's it's you know important. Um, but now what Elon has done because this is different. He's almost switching tactics where he's saying. He said in a letter to Twitter that allegations made by a whistleblower have had a, quote, material, if not existential, 
effect on the company. So he's now basically saying that the revelations in this whistleblower thing were so, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, mind blowing, no pun intended, that it changes the trajectory. And I guess would argue that irrespective of, of any of his other complaints, this now changes things and I guess would would potentially have uh, the ability for him to get out of the deal, which I still don't know how, I'm still not sure what the legal rationale behind that would be because he still agreed to buy the company without doing any sort of due diligence. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? I mean... But, <sighs> like, 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 like if he weren't suing them right now, if he were going through their normal regulatory process of buying it and he weren't in a, a slap fight trying to get out of it and this came forward... Um, before it closed, I'm not sure if this would be a material enough thing for him to be able to get out of, of buying the company. Or if he had just bought the company if the deal closed and then this information came forward, it's not like he could then be like, oh, this this was stuff I didn't know about. And, and I, I, I bought a house, you know, that uh, I thought was great. And I, I didn't find out that the roof needs replacing and that the plumbing is is messed up and the septic tank is overflowed and the floor is rotting and all the other stuff is going on. I had no idea, you know, the the all, all I know is that like the inspection seemed like it went well. I didn't really read any of the details, but I bought this house, it looks great, and it turns out I've got to put another two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars into it. What I want my money back, I wanna get out of the deal. Like you can't do that. So I don't know. If he could do that in this case, but that's that's certainly now what he's what he's claiming. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on this. I mean, Elon is the equivalent of like we've all been there. We had a little too much to drink. We wake up the next morning, we saw we bid too much on eBay on a Kate Spade bag, right? Right. Like, like, and then you're like, oh, what can I use to get out of it? Uh, oh, it didn't come in the condition. I, you know, like there right. he's looking for a pretext here and. You know, it it sucks because, like, at first blush, it does seem like a, a coherent argument. But totally. But if you're telling me if that's after the MDAU, uh, maybe it's not. I mean, ultimately, the Chancery Court of Delaware is going to decide this. Exactly. I mean, I, I will say I do think that these revelations and these things certainly seem like this could be more material and more impactful than the bot question. I mean, if we're being completely honest, like I think that that's probably true, but I don't know in terms of, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm still, again, not, not, not sure, uh, what, what this is going to, to mean for everything. Um, but he's wanting to get an extension. I have a feeling he's going to get his extension. I have a feeling that, that this is, is probably important enough. And there are probably enough legal challenges that are raised by these things at the, you know, 23rd hour, which, I'm sure Elon loves um, that uh, they will more than likely uh, postpone it because because right now um, you know the trial is scheduled for October and and I I, I you know if we're we're at the end of August we're we're at September right now so I I, I don't know if, if um, they can conceivably feel like they can go forward if they have enough time especially if they want to address these things but I guess uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see I unfortunately agree. And this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. So you can start out with a beautiful website, you can engage with your audience, and then you can sell anything, your products, your services, even the content that you create, Squarespace has you covered. Um, right now, our merch store is just a redirect to our Cotton Bureau store, but as we get more items and start doing more things, we will more than likely be trying to build out an entire site. And honestly, I think that we're probably going to use Squarespace because they make it super easy to sell products in an online store, whether you're selling physical or digital products. Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling. 
Um, I've never used Squarespace for a store before, but I have used it to uh, build websites and uh, you know set up podcasts. And it's it's a really great system. They have beautiful themes. You know, you can, uh, if you want to blog, they have powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, and updates. And then you can categorize and share and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. And um, if you're also wanting to grow your business, because, okay, you know, you're trying to build a business, you know, selling uh, your, your content, selling your merch. If you've ever wondered where your site visits and sales are coming from and which channels are most effective, you know, is it Instagram? Is it YouTube? Is it your podcast like this? Uh, you can analyze that all inside of Squarespace. Once you've got the data, you can improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or the most popular products and content. I have a feeling for us, it'll definitely be the scam edition of the Scamtown Tea because who doesn't love to spend more money on the exact same thing? That's right, everyone. So we're big fans of Squarespace here. Head over to squarespace.com slash rocket for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, you can use the the offer code rocket to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com slash rocket. And then when you decide to sign up, use the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase. And uh, please uh, go to squarespace.com slash rocket to show your support for Rocket and Relay FM. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all the shows on Relay FM. Thanks, Squarespace. But mostly the show. <laughs> but mostly this show. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're thankful for all of them, but we're mostly thankful for, for us. But also, yeah, yeah thank, thank you, Squarespace. Okay. <laughs> so next thing we want to talk about is stable diffusion, which oh is... Oh, my God. This Christina, is so cool. I have to tell you, you tweeted this, and I like the, the, the tagline of it was something like, you know, 41 gigs or something like yeah. that. And I'm like... Uh, what's Christina talking about? I usually, if I click on a tweet you do and it's technical, I'm like, you know, I'm trying to get through it. But this was, I was just like, holy F, I'm looking at the future slash the destruction of every art job on the planet. So this is a great topic. Oh my God. Yeah. So one of the things that's like AI is getting really good, you guys, like AI art tools are becoming incredible. So earlier this summer, uh, OpenAI released Dolly 2, which is the second generation of their kind of prompt-based AI art tool that we've talked about. I've had access to it for a couple of weeks now, and it's really, really good. Um, so you can basically um, do, uh, like, give, give a prompt, like, I want to have a, uh, you know, see a, 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 a photorealistic image of a teddy bear riding a skateboard through Times Square. And you will get something that looks like that. There are prompts and things you need to, to tweak to get the results that you want, but the stuff is is actually pretty uh, remarkable. Well, OpenAI's Dolly 2 is not the only uh, game in town. Um, there's also a new thing called Stable Diffusion, which is from Stability AI, and it is actually, it's open source, um, and it was released, uh, it went public uh, last week. It's pretty incredible, um, the, the things that you can do with it, where you can give um, something a prompt, but you can also give it a, a small um, kind of like image. Um, the example that Bree's talking about, we have this blog linked in, in the show notes where a guy basically oh drew a really rudimentary image of um, Seattle. And we're talking like slightly better than like stick figure MS Paint stuff, right? Like we're, we're talking like, like, like blobs. Yeah, just, just literally doing some rectangles against just blue. 
to make it look like sky, like exactly. as rudimentary and, and, and as it could be. Very rudimentary shapes, like, like again, nothing that, that you would see as intensive. And then when he's running this model, which he was able to run on his own machine, he was then able to create, if, if you want to describe the, the art for, for the audience, because it was really incredible. Okay, so this, it literally could have been the the cover to a science fiction novel. It was that sophisticated, like a gorgeous city against a starry night with this dome over it. And one iteration of it has like this just glass dome. And the next one underneath it is this like hexagonal powered cool science fiction dome and honestly done with a ton of sophistication like this is work that has merit and just honestly terrifying how good this is but what i found so interesting here was him it there was a, another blog post you linked to yeah uh, basically iterating this process so getting the city right getting the composition right then going, yep. okay, I want a spaceship up here. Mm-hmm. And starting with something like the shape that you would go, oh, okay, it's going to draw a Star Destroyer there. But it doesn't draw a Star Destroyer. It like iterates on all the different science fiction ships ever made and then creates something with this rough shape outline of it, creating like an honestly cool, cool ship. So the whole idea here, like the way you phrased it, Christina, is like you're someone who has not spent a lot of time like learning to draw, but you understand composition and color and like what things are cool. So this could potentially let people without that kind of art background have access to creativity and make these beautiful works, which I'm like excited about, but also really torn about when you think about the sourcing, but that's a whole nother topic. So. No, it is. I mean, it's an interesting topic to talk, to talk about with these things, but yeah, you're right. I mean, so, so, um, uh, Andy, um, um, uh, who, uh, goes, but it's Andy.pages is his website. Um, he basically, as you said, like he started out with like some, you know, really rudimentary drawings and then took a number of different passes using stable diffusion and each one, as you were saying, it gets better and better and better. And the results are so fascinating. And, um, you know, uh, uh, Andy Bow, a different Andy, um, uh, you know, did a, I guess, a kind of an analysis of some of the, the images that are going into this model. Cause the, the size of the model that this is using is, as I, is, is I think 32 gigabytes or something that's millions and millions of images. And so being able to analyze everything that goes into it is obviously um, uh, too big for, for any kind of single person to do, but there's really interesting thing that's happening. And um, uh, Simon um, Willison, um, who uh, is uh, one of the, uh, you know, creators of, of, of Django and, and, and somebody who's um, really smart and has been writing a lot about these different AI tools uh, that, have, that have come out over, over the, the last few months, he uh, talks about it too, where he uh, shows off somebody on Reddit who basically took an image, which is just some shapes, like there's a, a, a blue sky and um, kind of uh, looks like sand, maybe because it, it's, you know, kind of a tan color in the foreground, um, a, a sun, which is literally just a yellow circle, and then some, you know, shapes of some buildings, which are, again, no details, just shapes, kind of like Tetris blocks. And then a uh, a dome, which is represented literally just by uh, a, a black line, uh, creating like half of half of a sphere. And the end result that this is created with two passes are these photorealistic, futuristic like dome with a city encased in it in the middle of like a desert. Like it's this completely futuristic, like amazing image, and it's just 
fantastic. Um, and, and because this is open source, people are already figuring out uh, web UIs so that people can get the most out of this. People are already getting this to work on other things. It uh, right now is not really working on Apple Silicon. I mean, it is, but, but it's going to have to use all of your CPU. But people are actively working to make it work better on Apple Silicon. It's designed right now for NVIDIA GPUs, although some people have been able to get it to work on, on certain um, AMD GPUs. But, but the fact that this stuff is happening and then it's been happening so fast is incredible. And the work that people are getting out of this is just ridiculous. Like it's, it's I, I, like you, I think that there are some questions about maybe some of the, the ethical things about where the, the um, images that they get for these models work. I think that's a, a broader discussion to have. But I think the potential, what excites me, and I wanted to hear your, your take as somebody who is an artist and has worked in these things. Like, what do you think about this potential where you can either insert small and, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of rudimentary images and get something, um, but also, um, you know, have prompts like in, in, in this particular case, um, the, the image that I was describing earlier, the kind of the, 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 the orb in, in, in the, in the future scape, the, the cyberpunk type of thing, the prompt that was given to the system was a distant futuristic city full of tall buildings inside a huge transparent glass dome in the middle of a barren desert full of large dunes Sun rays, art station, dark sky, full of stars with a shiny sun, massive scale, fog, highly detailed, cinematic, colorful. And, and then basically providing those two things, that prompt, which was really detailed, but in natural language, and kind of the base image, which is completely rudimentary that even me with my lack of, you know, drawing talent could accomplish, the output is just something unreal. Jaw-dropping, jaw-dropping. I'm, I, I want to talk about the ethics of this a bit because, so when I learned how to draw, like what did I do? I got Christopher Hart books, I got Sailor Moon books, and I like, I literally sat down and just drew Sailor Moon until my hand fell off, right? Or yep. J. Scott Campbell was a really uh, huge inspiration to me. Uh, so I would just sit there and literally just do exactly what the freaking AI is doing, exactly. which is find source material that I found pleasing. And I would then learn how to like adapt it into my own style. Right. So I think what the AI is doing is literally what every artist does though, obviously yep. at a much, much grander scale. Right. Like you look at these these the the art that they're generating and i can look down and i can go like oh that's where they're emulating like a, a dry brush technique right right like look how they're rounding their oil brushes at the bottom here oh look at the way they're using the the this photoshop uh, effect right here like you see them meshing all these techniques together in a way that feels very organic but the other side of this is like how it's getting sourced from, I find it super ethically shaky. So even on the one where it's like, hey, look, we're open. We'll tell you where we got all of our stuff from. They're pulling a lot of this art from from shopping sites. Uh, they're pulling a huge part of it from Pinterest, where people don't exactly have the rights to stuff that they're posting right. before they're putting it up there. And you know, the reality of, of this is this AI 
is basically taking like in the the widest sense of the word like all the art ever created by artists and then just turning it into an AI product which you know like but the results are beautiful and it's accessible so right. I don't know how to feel about this no I totally get that and I have to say this is a, a topic that has also come up with um, uh, Copilot which uh, Disclosure is a product that my company GitHub makes and it's also something that we do in partnership with OpenAI and using their codex that basically scans um, uh, all, all the public code that is stored on GitHub and then creates when you, it's, it's an extension in, in Vim and in VS Code and in JetBrains and basically helps you as you're typing something rather than having to go to Stack Overflow to look up like, how do I complete this function in this thing or to have to pull up a manual to be like, okay, what's the boilerplate for calling this sort of uh, thing in, in this particular API? It will it will fill it for you. It's, it's kind of like an autocomplete on steroids, but it's a little more to it than that. People similarly I, I have, have to be honest. Everyone out there goes and looks at Stack Overflow. Of course and they do. References code. I'm sorry. Of course they do. One I find that course they quote do. unquote scandal stupid. Like just my opinion. But. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I look. I, I obviously find some of the, the the things aspects of it. I disagree with it too. And 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 GitHub's official position is that we're very comfortable with where we legally stand. But mm-hmm. my point is that people have the same questions where they're saying, okay, but the source code that you're grabbing this from, even though it's public, it might be licensed in a certain way and what does this mean about the licensing and this and that that's a more complicated topic I'm not going to get into that here sure. again like, like we're, we're comfortable with our position in this but people do have even if there's not a legal question they have ethical questions about this and I think though I understand the the discomfort I really do because the results are so good and I and I understand artists especially who are so talented being like wait a minute I don't know how I feel about my work being used to train you know, these, these models that are able to do these sorts of outputs, because that's, that's got to feel weird. At the same time, I think what you said, you know, the fact that when you're learning to draw, when you're creating, you are referencing past work, like that's just how it works. And, and you're, you're referencing things regardless of copyright, regardless of, of who entered it, regardless of who owned it on Pinterest or anywhere else, like you are, are referencing that. And, and styles become styles for a reason. It's not illegal to make something in the style of Andy Warhol, right? Like his Andy Warhol's whole thing was in many ways kind of, um, you know, flipping his nose at copyright a little bit, right? By doing, you know, screen um, of printings of, of, of famous people and of, and of brands and logos and things like that. So there's, there's, I think, this longstanding history in art where artists have kind of, you know, played with a lot of these things too. I think what probably makes people uncomfortable, if they're really honest with it, is the fact that machines are doing this. But what I would ask is, I mean, I think that there might be some people who are a little bit worried about like, well, will this put artists out of jobs? And that I fundamentally disagree because if anything, I think that A, the amount of work that it takes to get a really good result shows that you need to have an understanding of composition, the right prompts to do, the right type of starter images. That will eventually get get better and easier. I, I grant you that. But I still feel like this is the sort of thing where a really skilled artist could use a tool like this to augment things they've already created or to maybe give them kind of a starter to then create new things on top of it. I feel like this could be a really big additive thing, especially when we're talking about like virtual world designs and and other things that need to be really immersive where the tedium involved in having to draw and create every single aspect of those things you know, it, it does become, you know, frankly, almost like assembly line and, and not, e- e- not even creatively fulfilling, if that makes any sense. 
Oh, 100%. I mean, like, look at the star field in this particular piece. Like, do you think every time an artist, like, uh, like in a video game, right? Like, uh, do you think, like, the texture map you're going out and painting, <laughs> like, a star field and going through and doing the bloom around every single star? No, you're going in some reference photography. And in this case, you're throwing it up. You're creating, like, uh, spectral maps. You're creating emissive maps and, and making it so it looks good. Like, you're, you're mixing in existing work. I can very much see this being an additional tool. I I can see like lower level art workers. Like I can see publications saying, you know what, we're just not going to get an illustrator oh, for this story. I agree. We're just going to run it through here. Yeah. Uh, but I also think there's going to be a higher end for this because the telltale signs of this are so obvious. Like if you look right. down at this, you see brush strokes that don't go mm-hmm. anywhere or hair that like whips around. Like it's AI generated and you can tell it the same way you can it, tell something is 3D printed, you know? Right, right. There, 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 there's an uncanny, there definitely is. There's like an uncanny valley aspect to it, which is going to get better. But if you know what to look for, you can see it, which again, people who are going to want to have the really good things are then going to need to clean it manually or do something else with it, right? And I do think you're right that this, I mean, who I think this probably will impact the most would be almost like a clip art and stock image places because those are the things Ooh. where- Yep. Like where we're we're honestly where where I think you could have people who could create you know kind of stock scenes and and then edit them you know make edits and whatnot and offer them up and have people use those to embed versus you know going out and taking the the images and whatnot. But I mean, and I feel bad on one sense about that, and on the other hand, I'm like the stock image scene is incredibly like uh, toxic to the people who create that work themselves, right? Like the only people who really get rich off of that is Getty. So. I don't know. I'm kind of like mixed on it. I'm also expecting these things to absolutely show up in those services too. And if anything, I, I would expect that you would see some sort of like stable diffusion or, or um, you know, Dolly 2 or whatever, like, you know, filled stock image place that people can 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 pull from um, rather than having to, you know, enter in the prompts themselves. Like I, I just see, I see a lot of this, you know, happening in a lot of ways, but I, I do understand the concerns over that. I think they're valid. I think they're interesting discussions to have. But I also, my personal opinion is I think the tech is just so freaking cool. And, and the possibilities behind this from where we are now is just incredible, especially like what's been exciting to, about this to me is the fact that, that Stable Diffusion is open source. We've seen so many iterations and so many people figuring out what makes a good prompt and other things. We've seen that with Dolly too as well, where people have created like these handbooks of of prompt books that they call them to like figure out how to get the best results. But now you're getting people who are doing even more with it. And I think that that's going to see things take off even more as people start to, you know, work with the data more, work with the models, work with the tools. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I totally understand the, the, the fear around some of this stuff, but I'm also like totally excited by it. I think, I think this is really exciting. Let's not like discount the other part of this. So let's say just off the top of my head, Christina, you want to create a manga about mean girls in technology, mm-hmm. <laughs> technology journalism. You want to create your own manga about that. Like, should you as a person need to have spent a thousand hours drawing Sailor Moon right. to do that? Right. Think about what this could free up people like you to create because like 
what I would need from you if you're creating something like that isn't to sit down and like go down this journey that every manga artist takes. I'm interested for your voice, your perspective, like, like all those touches that make that would make that interesting coming from you. So think about all the art and the expression that we can get from people with this that have been closed out from this kind of visual expression before. Like you only get so many experience points in life, y'all. Like you can only learn so many things. And I just, I I think that has value too. I I agree. That's a great point. I'm excited about this. No, and I'm glad you brought that up because I really do think that this is one of those things that will open up art and open up creativity to so many types of people. And as I was saying, I don't think this is the stop. Like I think that I don't feel like this is something that people would stop at just this and maybe like this is enough. Maybe some people would, but I feel like this is also the thing that could unlock in people who might not have the innate talent. Like I don't have the innate talent to draw, but I am artistic and and I, I wish that I could draw, but I can't. And I don't have, you know, the, the, the time or the skill to like do all those repetitive tasks, but I could use tools like this to make things better and then iterate and maybe make changes in other software. You know what I mean? Like it could open up like the doors for that. And, and I think that, I think you're right. I think this is something that could really democratize a lot of art and, and that's really exciting. So, um, we've got links in, in, in the show notes, uh, about this stuff. I think this is just a super fascinating space. We're going to be talking about this tons over, over the, the, the next few years. I know we are both the, the good and the bad points, but, um, I was shocked by how good this was and how much good stuff we've seen come out of this in literally just, you know, un- under 10 days. So, the robots are real guys. Like they're, they're, they're really like, honestly, you know what I mean? Like the, the Borg is coming for us. I think if we can get AI to do anything uh, to create art instead of being Skynet, I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know what? Same, same. All right. Now we're going to talk to Kat Tenbarge about a recent story that she wrote for NBC News about Trisha Paytas. All right. So we are now joined by Kat Tenbarge, who is a reporter at NBC News. Um, and and she's really great at writing all about like uh, Internet culture and influencer stuff, like both deep dives into the various things that go on, but also some, um, you know, maybe this isn't necessarily a lighthearted story, but but I guess more more dessert level things like we like to talk about on Rocket. So we had Kat on today because one of the influencers that we've talked about many times in the past on Rocket is uh, Trisha Paytas. Trisha, I think the last time we talked about her, Brie, if you remember, I don't, but I think it was when there was the BuzzFeed profile and then she like threatened to kill Skashy Cole. I think that was the last time we talked about her. Yeah, she's a she's kind of a mess. And uh, yeah, I'll let Kat, I mean, you can tell us about this story, but this is, I got to tell you, this, this was a, I'm putting on my ethical hat and like bringing out my slide rule. Like there are a lot of things to think about with your piece here. Yeah, definitely. So, so uh, Trish Paytas, longtime YouTuber, she's been involved in basically every internet controversy that's ever existed on YouTube or TikTok, um, and many of them on Twitter. But this one is is not actually her fault. So, Kat, do you want to tell us a little bit about the story that you wrote? Sure. Yeah. So, when it comes to Trisha Paytas, there certainly are a lot of really interesting ethical dynamics and considerations at play. And uh, what I noticed happening a little under a year ago is that there was this subreddit that started in October of last year called Trishyland. And there have always been 
subreddits and gossip forums and groups of people talking about Trisha Paytas. But this one was different. It was super vitriolic. And a lot of times the posts really crossed over into territory of bullying and harassment. So I started to kind of uh, document some of these things over the past few months. And at the same time as this subreddit was growing, Trisha was undergoing a lot of life changes. So Trisha uh, got married at the end of last year, and Trisha announced a pregnancy right after Valentine's Day of this year. So ever since Trisha announced that she was pregnant, the subreddit has just continued to grow and grow and grow, and a lot of this sort of content uh, has begun to center around Trisha's pregnancy and around what's going to happen when Trisha has this baby. So right now, Trisha is nine months pregnant. The baby is coming any day now. Uh, So it's kind of like a very, it's a spot of tension. It's like, what's going to happen next? Will Reddit at some point step in? Uh, Will Trishy Land get a different team of moderators? Or, you know, is it just going to go full speed ahead into the early days of this kid's life? So that's kind of where we're at right now. And the story just kind of does an overview of what this culture on this subreddit looks like. And just to let people know, I mean, so I'm on the Trishy Land subreddit right now. Here at the top, uh, just some of the random posts as you're going through here. Uh, here's one accusing uh, one of her friends of having a weight problem, trying to diagnose if uh, this person has diabetes just from looking at pictures of them or uh, like speculating if they have a heroin habit. Here's another one going through her tax records, uh, basically uh, publishing that with you know, some details obscured, but basically going through on Reddit and trying to figure out her tax situation. Here's another one uh, that's basically trying to get her, um, you know, talking about uh, basically calling her a pathological liar. Here's another one talking about child services, if they need to be called once she has uh, a baby. And, you know, even as someone hardened by like the E, the E news of the 90s when I was an adolescent and like the hard core, you know, celebrity hunting a sport there. This is this is really over like any kind of line of decency, in my opinion. Yeah, it's mean, right? Like, I mean, yeah. Trisha is is I think I don't think this is unfair to say. Like she's a pretty mean person or has been in the past, right? Like she's certainly been incredibly unkind to people in her videos and her tweets and her, you know, other things that she's done. Like she's not this is the sort of thing where these are communities where I have to imagine a teenage Trisha probably spent time in things like this, right? But but still, but this stuff is, it's it's really, really mean. It's also, it's obsessive in a way that is, you know, there's a certain irony to it because, you know, they, they want to like pinpoint all the things that are wrong with her and how obsessive she is over every little thing and, and every fault that she has. But it's also like, you're literally spending your life documenting <laughs> every aspect of someone that you don't know's life. Like there's, there, there's, to me, there's a certain irony in that. Yeah. One of the things that struck me about this subreddit is that the behavior exhibited on it is extremely similar to Stan groups, people who love someone to the point where they obsessively are updating people about their life, yeah, uh, obsessively trying to figure out where they are, what they're doing. 
And a lot of this behavior comes from a place of admiration, but it does really show, I think Trishy Land really shows that that line between loving someone and hating someone and the kind of obsessive behaviors that can come out of that, you can so easily cross that line. Um, and I think what also is interesting about Trishy Land is in the very internet-y sense of this person's timeline online, uh, the subreddit was only formed less than a year ago. And what happened at that point in Trisha's life is she had gone from probably the peak of her online career being the mm-hmm. co-star of a super popular, beloved podcast Huge. called Frenemies. Yeah. yeah. Huge. One of the biggest cultural uh, just, like, things to come out of the pandemic. Well, and, and it saved her career in a lot of ways, right? Like, in my opinion. Oh, like, yeah. I think that I think that, that completely, like, everybody else around her was getting canceled. We talked about it, you know, like, like uh, James uh, Charles twice and, and uh, you know, Shane Dawson and Jeffree Star and all of her friends. And then she'd had this beef with, with Ethan Klein. And then they wound up having this podcast, which was a very good podcast. And she yeah. suddenly, like, I think, at least from my perspective, I don't know about uh, you, you did the reporting on this, but it seemed like the the opinion about her in the public like switched when when that podcast happened. Yes, definitely. Like Trisha had such a mythology at that point on YouTube, and there were so many people who followed her for so long, and I think kind of in their mind viewed her as just a straight up troll, like someone who maybe occasionally you have interest in them as a human being, but a lot of what they're doing is just for shock value and for attention. And there was such a huge meme culture around Trisha's like wildest moments. But when Frenemies came out, like in the process of that podcast, Trisha became very seemingly vulnerable and opened up a lot about past trauma, mental illness, a desire to get better, like a desire to change and improve. And along the way, like Trisha and Ethan formed what seemed to be this really close friendship. And together they started taking on the other people on YouTube with their like perceived wrongs. They became kind of like an accountability duo. And so when things started to crash and burn toward the end of the podcast and Trisha came out and basically said, like, I can't work with Ethan anymore, she really became the villain of the story in a huge, a huge way that fueled this subreddit's creation and has fueled so much of this behavior. This is where I really struggle with this. And I, I genuinely mean this. I, I can't figure out how I feel about this. So as someone who has gotten more than my fair share of harassment, the way I mentally framed it was very different when I was running for Congress versus me as like a an indie game developer, right? Like indie game developer, I'm just trying to do my thing. I'm not really a public figure. That's a very different thing than, you know, running for an office. And there's a certain amount of uh, like public obloquy that you're literally signing up for. And where I'm really torn on this story I'm looking at this subreddit and it it turns my stomach. It hits every box of like going over the line. Uh, at the same time, these are the same kind of trolling techniques she used to get 5 million follower uh, like subscribers on YouTube, right? Like she's made her entire career out of like trolling people in a really mean way. And I this is what I'm really torn with on your on your story and I I truly don't know how to make up my mind about it. It's like is is like should we 
should we hold like the audience of Reddit to lower standards here just because of her past behavior? Do we need to just all hold ourselves to high standards? Like where, where's that line? I think we'd all agree that like, uh, you know, planning to preemptively report, uh, you know, her to child protective services is really, really over the line. But, you know, she herself has made a million like jokes about people's weights. I mean, can we really get outraged when people are doing it to her? So I really don't know how to feel about this. I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think what I have observed over the past several years of this YouTube drama community is that it has always been very focused around accountability for these influencers and for the behaviors that they exhibit on and offline. And, you know, what's interesting about that is it always tends to go too far. Like it always tends to be very difficult to control the mob and for the mob to not want to stop at whatever this person's perceived wrongs are. So for example, uh, Trisha has made so many just flat out offensive statements and videos and going all the way back to the beginning of Trisha on YouTube uh, at a time when huge creators like Shane Dawson were doing all kinds of uh, anti-Black and just racist sketches and stereotypes, Trisha Paytas was a huge member of that culture. And so there are a lot of posts on Trishy Land, like, look at all of the racist things that Trisha has done. And But what's, like, fascinating about it is they then take that and use it to propel and to justify their own toxic behavior. Right. So it's almost like the concept of accountability in this space has become weaponized yeah. um, as a shield. And so that's that's really fascinating. And I have been questioning for, for years now what is the best way to go about having people in the audience hold creators accountable without crossing these lines. And I have yet to find a community that really hasn't. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And I don't know if we have answers for that, but I think that's such an interesting thing to think about. The only other thing I wanted to ask from you before we um, – in the show and then go into a little more conversations with Kat during our rocket booster was I'm curious, like the people who are in this subreddit, um, I know that this started after the podcast uh, with, with Ethan Klein blew up, um, you know, blew apart rather, but were any of the members, are, are they people who were primarily fans of his? Were they maybe previous fans of hers? Like, like, do you, do you have a sense of like who the people in the subreddit are? I mean, I think it's almost entirely women, but uh, just based on like the, the things that I'm reading, but Yes. I, I don't really have anything more than that other than to say, like, are these, you know, fans turn people who hate her? Are these people who were in some of the other uh, subreddits uh, dedicated to, like, like, like uh, I think there's one that's like a like beauty gurus or something like mm-hmm. that. Like, there are a couple of, like, tea-related subreddits. It, have people migrated from there? Like, w- what's your sense of who, who makes up this community? Yeah, it's so interesting because they've done sort of polls themselves to try to figure out a sense of the demographics. And obviously, self-reported information isn't always reliable. But the sense that you get spending time in the subreddit is that a huge chunk of these people were formerly fans of Trisha until the end of Frenemies. It was a, like, watershed moment for, like, a huge portion of her fan base. Okay, so it's like hell hath no fury, like a fan scorned. So to maybe go back to your fandom analogy, um, or Stan Coulter analogy, this is kind of like when your favorite pop star does something that you don't like, and then it's a bridge too far, and then you, you see, and you would see this all the time on Tumblr and other places where they would go from being, like, massive stans of a certain person 
to hating them and being obsessively like hateful towards the people that they used to obsess over. But because they had that previous, you know, like knowledge of, of how to kind of like stalk every individual thing a person did, like that then just became weaponized, as you were saying before, in the other direction. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. And, uh, and final thing, um, uh, and Brie, if you have any other questions, I obviously don't want to interrupt you, mm-hmm. but what's Trisha's response been to all of this? And, and has, has she made any responses to your article or to the subreddit in general? Has she inter- interacted with them or, or mentioned them in any of her postings or anything? It's such a good question because I was just watching Trisha's latest video on her channel, and I thought it said so much about the situation. She made a video. She has not, to my knowledge, publicly addressed the article or Trisha Land in a while. Uh, I think she may have addressed it a few times around the creation of the subreddit in a way where she was sort of like, this is going too far. Like, But, but I think when she found that that was unsuccessful and perhaps even encouraged more. She has she has not really mentioned them by name. She will talk about people who stalk her and she'll talk about people who are very obsessive. Uh, but she she rarely seems to actually mention Trisha Land specifically. But in her most recent video, <laughs> she was talking, it was titled Addressing All the Lies. So I thought it might have something to do with the article. But in the video, she just is sitting there talking to the camera and it's such a classic Trisha Paytas video. Is, where- she, is, she, is, she, is she on the um, the kitchen floor? She's not on the kitchen floor, but she's on the end of her bed. Okay, okay, okay. So, 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 so that's like the other Trisha like go to location. It's, it's like yes. the floor, the bed, and the car eating fast food, right? Like yes. those are like the those those are like the three locations. Okay, sorry, exactly. go on. Oh, not at all. And yeah, and it's just so classic. Her she goes on for thirty minutes, just sort of rambling and just sort of stream of consciousness about how. Uh, Her life has changed so much in the past year. She really feels like she's a different person. She doesn't feel like she needs to be as combative online. And she kind of feels at this point that she's gone through so many different cycles. Right now, her ASMR channel is doing really well. So she's investing a lot of time and resources into that. And as she's sitting there going through all of this reflection, it just reminded me that the reason this whole subreddit exists is because... Trisha has a window that YouTube has provided her, and no matter what, she's never going to stop talking to us. She's never going to stop sharing all of her thoughts. This is a – it almost felt like a self-therapeutic practice, and it it brings her so much hate, but it also has brought her everything that she knows. And it's just sort of like – it's so fascinating to me, and it's almost kind of sad in a way. Like, she'll never stop, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. I I just, I I want to return to something you were saying earlier, like how this subreddit was kind of created to quote unquote, hold her accountable. And I can't help but like draw some analogies. Like if you look at Keffels and you know, what's going on with Cloudflare this week, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is literally exactly what Kiwi's forms. That's what they say that they exist at uh, is to like, like bring justice to Keffels and you know, the other trans people that they target, right? Like, like it's this, this idea that you need a out there to to bring you justice or or keep you accountable and i just i i'm really I, it's i 
I mean, I can think of some examples with politicians, how how this has been helpful, but I can't be the only person that increasingly um, is suspicious if an angry online mob is the best way to bring enlightenment about any problem at all. So I don't know. I mean, how how do you feel about that? Like, do you think do you think that like these kinds of subreddits can be a way to kind of um, kind of call out toxic people? I pretty much feel the exact same way. I think as I've seen so many of these online mobs take shape and watched their war path and watched the path of destruction that they often leave, you come to think to yourself, how is this benefiting anyone? Because the people who are leading the charge are rarely the people who were actually wronged. And so frequently it just becomes such a huge spiral where everyone loses. Right. And when I look at these snark subreddits, There are a few things that stick out to me as positives, and all of those positives come from subreddits that are are much broader in scope. So, for example, there are a couple of subreddits that absolutely have tons of toxicity in cultures and moments similar to Trishy Land, Uh, but there are subreddits that are devoted to uh, fundamentalist influencers and the Duggar family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if anyone who has been following the the uh, case against Josh Duggar knows that there was essentially this huge child sex abuse material scandal within that family. And their snark subreddit, if I remember correctly, ended up raising a significant amount of money for uh, the local uh, abuse efforts in that area, in that part of Alabama or the South, wherever it was. And so that was really interesting to me because I thought, okay, we have a lot of people coming here together attempting to help victims, uh, including a lot of victims of these sorts of religious religions and families coming forward and sharing their experiences. So there is some sort of positive stuff that can happen, but I do sort of question, is the space that Reddit provides, is that the right platform? Is Do we give moderators who can be anyone too much power? And we see these situations where things spiral out of control so frequently that I wonder if we're better off uh, looking at more traditional pathways of accountability rather than explore doing it via the internet. Yeah, I think that's well said. All right. Thank you so much, Kat. That was amazing. If you want to hear more from Kat, Bree and I and Kat continued our discussion for another half hour or so over on uh, Rocket Boosters. So if you want to be a Rocket Booster and be one of our boosties, subscribe to our program over on, on Relay.fm, join our membership and get more content. Um, but uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Bree, what are you up to this week? Uh, what am I doing this week? I'm getting over a running injury. Uh, I think I've got a shin splint. So I am like a queen on the couch right now. I've got my leg up in the air and I am I am like jonesing an entire show about mean cheerleaders on USA <laughs> called Amazing. Dare Me, which is so good. So there are two uh, main, like when you think about Scream and the protagonist of Scream, everybody knows Sydney Prescott. But yep. there was another girl from the MTV Scream series. Uh, and she, like, since that got canceled, now she's starring as, like, the really hard-nosed, ancient 28-year-old that comes back to to, to guide the, the, the mean girls uh, through, they're all psychotic through, like, cheerleading stuff, and it's called Dare nice. Me. So that's what I'm doing. Just being honest with you, Christina, because I'm it. still on vacation until uh, next Monday. So uh, I, I am uh, 
being a queen and uh, and uh, getting my 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 psychotic cheerleader fix. I, I love it. Like I I um I'm gonna share what I've been watching. I think on a future uh, Rocket Booster segment, so I'm not gonna spoil it. But I can't judge anybody's tele or, or content viewing uh, because of that. So. I 100% approve. I'm glad that you've been enjoying your vacation. I'm glad you've been getting your trash TV on. And I'm also glad that the girl from Scream was able to get another job. Good for her. Um, as for me, I am, I'm just like doing some work stuff, doing some videos uh, at work, uh, which have been fun. If you liked our discussion on um, uh, stability uh, diffusion, stable diffusion rather, uh, that's going to be mentioned not as in-depth on um, the download this week. And uh also, I found some really fun, I've been finding some fun open source projects that do things like uh, uh, make make plotted graphs uh, to show the ages of Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriends over time, which is really fun. Um, so I, I'm just doing work stuff. I don't have anything exciting to add. Bree, where can we find you online? Uh, as always, you can find me on my fun and exciting Twitter, which is Brianna Wu on Twitter. All right. And you can find me at film underscore girl on my Twitter and on my Instagram. And you can find the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash GitHub. You can find Simone at Doom Quasar on Twitter and Instagram. She's enjoying uh, the, the, the valiant like Italian countryside, which, as Bree said, Godfather 3 may look pretty good. Um, yeah. Godfather 3, not a great movie. The re-edit for however, whatever they're calling it now, the last chapter it's better. It's, it's still not a great movie, but That's you know. What I, so I've never seen Godfather one or two. Wait, what? And this was I I I grew up in a very Wait, Christian what? house. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying I, to catch I, up. I, I, okay. I understand yeah. this, but but yeah. I, okay. I'm going to. I'm going to. Okay. It's like on my list. I've never seen Pulp Fiction either, but this was playing in my local movie theater, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll go see what everybody's upset about." It's it's a good movie. Like, I'll go see one and two, so I'll understand why it's not as good in context. But uh, just a very good movie. Wanted to add, uh, go follow Cat as long as you're following people on yep. Twitter. That's Cat Tenbarch. Yeah, Cat Tenbarch. Her, her her Twitter is is linked on our show notes. Also. We totally forgot to talk about this. Speaking about movies, Movie Pass is back from the dead, oh. and and there's a wait list that I'm on. So we're gonna all we're all gonna get scanned another time. I think that they're supposed to send out invites or something after Labor Day. So we'll we'll have things to talk about with that next week. But that's really God, slipped I my mind. Get them on Rocket. I want to get yeah. them on Rocket so much. I mean, I mean, I, I, I. I think that I might be connected to one of those people on on LinkedIn. Ooh. I'll see. I, I definitely would would reach out to to. Uh, to uh, Stacy Spikes, um, who, who's the co-founder, who bought it back, and see. So I'm a, uh, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm hopeful that the, that the scam will continue and that we will be able to scam somebody, right? Like whether it's me, you, or the movie theaters, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. So that you know, you can do things like watch the worst Godfather film as your first Godfather <laughs> film. But I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you for seeing one. I'm glad you got I, to see I it. I will see them all eventually. I just this was what was playing. I, I got you. The the, sh- the series on Paramount Plus about the making of The Godfather is really good, but you you need to watch the films first. But it's it's fantastic. It's based on a really good book. Uh, but yeah, Godfather, fantastic film. You have to see that. Uh, um, uh, and uh, yeah, like Godfather three. Uh, Sofia Coppola is a very good director. That's what I'll say about her acting. We've rambled enough. If you're a Rocket Booster listener, stay tuned. There there'll be more content coming up for you. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated.